You're on the Unhindered Podcast with Jamin. I was talking to my brother this week. Now, uh, I have two brothers. The brother I was talking to is the Guatemalan brother. Uh, he's not a Guatemalan native. He's moved there with his family. He has three of his own children and four adopted uh, Guatemalan children with his wife, Bethany. And they run an orphanage there of uh, about 200 kids. And it's a, it's an amazing place. I, I reckon it's one of the most magnificent orphanages in the world. And they do, they do a great job. Uh, it was a treat that Ellie and I were able to visit them last year. Uh, but it was my brother's birthday. And we were just just talking about what's going on in our worlds and I was telling him about this self-permission book that I've written and released, about to release and he had it in his mind every time I've talked about book writing that I sit in my office and there's like fairies and rainbows and just sunlight shining out of my butt cheeks and it's just all joy, it's just the joy of writing, the joy of being able to share a message. He just, he just thought it was just this uh, overwhelmingly joyful experience, and was shocked to hear that uh, joy would be the the very last word I'd use to describe the writing process. Um, <laughs> oh dear, it's pain and anger and wrestling and fighting, and the process of uh, submitting to the the idea of simplifying things. Because in my mind, it is simple. It makes sense. It's, and not only does it make sense, it's useful. So it's structured in my mind in a way that works, and it works as well as it needs to. Then uh, when I speak about these ideas, then similarly, I have access to language in my mind and examples from my own experience that I can explain it to anyone given enough time and enough storytelling, then I think I can communicate clearly what I'm saying. But to write, you've only got one chance. And... And you can't go back and forth. And I'm not engaged. I'm not uh, getting any feedback. Are you understanding? Does this making sense? Do you have any questions? I'm just. I've just got to get it right with one chance. So that process, it's brutal. It it feels like you. I've got this lump of rock, and I'm chiseling away at it the whole time to create something beautiful. So it's a constant process of getting rid of stuff. Anyway, I'm sure there's joy in there somewhere if I look for it, but this is not a passion project, just so you know. Uh, this is not uh, what I would be doing with my spare time if I had nothing else to do. This is um, surrendering to meaningful suffering and and doing something that I like. I think the main motivator is it would feel incredibly unkind and inappropriate to withhold uh ideas that I think have the ability to change the world from the world. So if I have um, seen a model that has increased my experience of life, helped me become a better human, improve the relationship with myself and those that I love, and I've road tested that and refined that and devoted myself to thinking that through intelligently, okay, well then the next, the only appropriate thing to do is to share that in ways that other people could access. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. And uh, tomorrow and the next day, Wednesday and Thursday, here in Australia, I'll have every mattress and pillow and cushion and blanket jammed into the lounge room to deaden the sound and uh, my own recording set up to do the audiobook. So if you're an audiobook kind of person, uh, if you enjoy these podcasts, you, you probably enjoy the audiobook as well, but um, getting it done. So that's happening. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, I'll be so focused on doing that that I, I won't have anything extra to say for the podcast. But it turns out I do have something to say. I've got a few things to say. So strap yourself in. I'll, I'll keep it short and sharp today. Well, I think I will. 
firstly, let me add something from last week. So if you listen to the idea around bringing the idea of changing the date of Australia Day into the coaching frame and think about it practically, logically, in a way that reframes a whole bunch of experiences and, and steps it out in a logical way. And one thing that I wanted to add around that is the idea of honour. Um, and this is Alan Meyer's concept. I first heard Alan Meyer, who was a he was a church pastor from Melbourne, talk about this at a conference just to give credit where credit's due. And I think this idea is stunning and it checks out that it's, it's true and very useful. And that is... Now, the fifth of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you. So I think, um, you know, the, the best of the biblical wisdom is is always designed to give you more life. It's not designed to be a, a yoke that's burdensome and takes you away from life. Uh, often it can be interpreted that way, but this is some wisdom that gets you more of what you want. So the challenge has, has been with this word honor has been misinterpreted and misunderstood frequently as something akin to give respect to, obey, speak well of, um, you know, always be positive around, etc. When in fact what it really means is uh, to give due weight to. So to, it's a word taken from the ancient marketplace and it means, uh, you know, when a farmer would come in to to bring his bag of wheat for sale, the merchant would give him due weight, would weigh his bag of wheat appropriately and give him the exact amount of money that he was entitled to wouldn't overpay him wouldn't underpay him and so this idea of honoring your parents honor your mother and father that it may go well with you turns out is is far more difficult than you'd think but very very important for our own sense of self so it just means to weigh their impact appropriately to give them due weight to not overplay the bad or underplay the good um, as some feel that, that they want to do and others probably more likely is to overplay the good and underplay the bad but if you if you underplay the bad so if you were to review the impact your parents have had on you objectively you go know, you didn't ask to be born into the family you were but here you were you got given some parents you were born into their home their kingdom they were king and queen they knew best you, you followed their rules and were beholden to their setup so they had the advantage of everything size strength resources and you were uh, a subject in their kingdom and so that had an impact on you positively and negatively it shaped you it it affected a lot of the ways you think about yourself and the world so uh, if you if you analyze that and say there is no bad if you only have this picture of your parents were, were only positive well that's actually not to honor them, it's to dishonor you because in, invariably there will be something negative about their impact. Uh, even if it was that they were too good, that's still a negative because they would have crowded you, they, they would have made you uh, fragile. You would have not developed any robust self-reliance if your parents had been so present, so wonderful, lo- so loving. You know, you might have heard me talk about the curse of the perfect parent before. That ends up being a net negative if you weigh that appropriately. But the point is, if you say wrong done to you doesn't matter, then then really you're saying that you don't matter. If you find a way to dismiss the bad and say, ah, oh, it's okay, you know, it's all right, my child was fine, and others had it worse, you diminish yourself. 
So a very healthy adult thing to do is to say, do you know what? That sucked. The way that dad talked to me, the way that mum did this, the way that I experienced this part of their dysfunction. Now, I didn't enjoy that at all. That wasn't good for me. That wasn't some loving, intentional lesson for me to learn. That was the worst of them. So no other way to think about it. Um, but then likewise, if you find a way to ignore the good, as some do, some have so written off their parents, perhaps the curse of the absent parent. The parent was so uh, distant and removed and out of the picture that a child was left to fend for themselves. So it doesn't look like there's any good. Uh, and yet if you say there was no good, then you deny your very existence because you're here, aren't you? You didn't die. And somehow they contributed to that, even if it was just the start, even if it was just to do enough to give you enough care and nurture and resources to not die. If you say that's nothing, then, then you deny your very existence and again diminish yourself. So what's this got to do with Australia Day? Well, one of the inside the coaching frame is, is the ability to reframe and that is to look at things through different lenses. So look at that through the look at the uh, the invasion of, of British uh, soldiers and colony um, and convicts to Australia uninvited without permission to look at that invasion and the impact of that. Um, you know, firstly, if you say, if you if you are uh, of indigenous heritage and you say, oh, there's no bad, it's all good. Well, you deny a huge part of your history. You, you deny the difficulty of that colonial rule and reign. You, you deny the, the great injustice uh, and the terror that was inflicted on uh, a race of people for no other reason other than they were different and it was convenient to have them out of the way. Uh, so, yeah, wrong was done. A huge wrong was done. So very, very important to weigh that appropriately and to let that stand. But but if you only weigh the negative, then you get caught up in this bitterness, this resentment, and you find yourself a victim to the negative. That becomes the reason why you can't do anything. So you must also weigh the positive. Now, you might have heard me talk about the fact that I did my Thinking Week retreat in, retreat in Manly at the end of last year. And so one of the, the things that I was uh, experiencing, you know, being a country boy, uh, being on the harbour, in a ferry going across the harbour and spending time in Manly on, on either side of the harbour I was just awestruck at how magnificent that harbour is you know it was already the most magnificent harbour in the world and now it's even better so you, you want to assess the good of a European invasion well there has been some improvements made to the standard of living to the ease with which resources find their way to our tables, uh, to the luxuries and conveniences we have, to uh, the, the culture and atmosphere of a place, to the luxury of dwellings, to the, uh, the education, to the health, to the infrastructure. And they were contributions made by European settlers, by and large. And so uh, to, to say there is no good is to lie and to... to to dishonor yourself and to miss a huge piece in the puzzle so it all it all adds to this whole narrative that to uh, think that changing the date would solve the problem the problem being a, a disempowered or a um, an unequal 
disproportionately unequal uh, experience of life for one set of Australians to another and that changing with the date would solve that. Well, not when you line it up like that. Sure, we need to, like it is very important to create equity and justice and to do whatever, whatever we can for all Australians to be included in a share of resources and opportunity, um, but changing the date, not even close to doing anything remotely useful when it's looked at in the cold light of day. And and that's being said, like I don't, well, it's hard to be completely transparent about my own agenda. I, but I don't, if, if saving, changing the date would do good, well, great. Like I'm not invested in the 26th of January being Australia Day. So what? <laughs> it doesn't matter to me if it's changed or not. Uh, but to get excited about changing the date or go to war about changing the date, assuming that's going to do good no no that's that's not what it's about at all not going to do any good right second thing so i'm i'm about to record this self-permission book the self-permission method and i wanted to give you an example of how the self-permission method is experienced in my own life and 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 why it is such a predictable way to solve the problems of internal resistance and you know, similar to the unhindered word, uh, the idea about it's our job to eradicate insecurity from our life and be completely unhindered by self-doubt, limiting beliefs and fear here at this current level of growth. Now, when you do that, you're, you'll invariably experience a bigger map of reality. You, you will spread out. You will say yes to things you've previously been too afraid to say yes to. And so therefore, you will encounter more complexity and more uncertainty and without a doubt, you will bump into more insecurity because your world has got bigger than it's ever been before. And so there is more danger, more unpredictability. And if you haven't uh, had reason to change the narrative at that higher level yet, well, then it will still be remain. It still it will still be anchored the way it always has been back into your past. So, all that to say, the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity is not a fix it once for all time experience it, it is a an effective set of principles that will work at every level of growth wherever you see insecurity show up and so when you when you solve the problem at your current level of growth and then find insecurity again it's evidence of growth so it's a success thing when insecurity shows up again and you just go back into the same seven practices and and I would imagine you get quicker at it each time. That's certainly been my experience and the experience of the clients that I work with. So the self-permission method is, is the same. It's a, it's a universally true set of principles that works at every level where your system breaks down. So my system breaks down. Just like when people ask me, am I insecure? I say, no, not at all. Not in my awareness at this current level of growth, but I will be again. But that's fine because when, when I'm insecure again, I know how to not be. I know how to get back in the game and solve the problem. So, um, you know, I, I had a lovely experience over Christmas of rest. Uh, but when I look back at how I came into Christmas, I, I wasn't completely honest with myself around how I'd reconcile the disappointment of not being picked up by the New York publishers around this book. I, I put everything I had into uh, presenting this work at that end of town. And you've heard me talk about how confident I am about it and how, how useful I think it is. So I'm, I'm sure 
Well, I know because I read books all the time. There are books that are practically useless that still get sold by the big end of town. So um, that's what I wanted. That's all that I wanted. And it didn't work out like that. And I found a way to kind of reframe my experience and say, well, okay, I'm going to self-publish anyway. But I didn't, I wasn't honest about the disappointment. And I thought I'd got away with that. And so though I carried some residual disappointment in, in my psyche over the Christmas period. And it was unresolved. And it, uh, it ended up breaking a rapport with myself because I got a little bit down on myself. And it created a raft of, of flow-on emotional impacts in my life that were very subtle but nevertheless uh, were, were real and so uh, you know hindsight's very useful when you're reflecting on resistance when I look back now uh, I had my first signal that things were not right internally uh, with my last set of client onboarding calls or sales calls uh, leading into Christmas I had five calls in the last week and you know People call me all the time. Not everyone's ready for change. But if people get to, to call me, often they are. So I would say, you know, more than 60% of people who call me end up deciding to do coaching. Of those five who called me, no one decided to do coaching. Um, my first week of sales calls in the new year, again, I had five. Uh, again, zero. No one decided that they wanted to go ahead after I'd presented what was on option, what was available, how much it was going to cost, what it would do. Uh, all of them decided no. So it's like, that's interesting. It feels like a tap just got turned off. <laughs> um, okay, I don't think I've done anything different. That's weird. But I wasn't ready to listen yet, clearly, and just kept sailing on. Um, the second indicator that I had broken rapport with myself and had not processed this disappointment was inflammation in my Achilles tendon. So for the last three weeks, um, my right Achilles has been very sort of, very sort of touch. I've, it hasn't been sore enough to completely stop me running, but a lot of pain when I run, and I've, I've tried to, I've been nursing it, uh, been you know using Dankarub and uh, Voltaren and massaging it, assuming it's an injury. Um, it, it wasn't until this week that I went, hang on a minute, hang on, why? is my Achilles inflamed. I haven't increased my running. I've, I've run my whole life. I haven't done any more running than any other point in my life. There's no reason. I haven't twisted my ankle. I haven't trodden in a hole. I haven't changed my shoes. Why now? Why is it inflamed? Like, hmm, what for? This doesn't look like a signal, but perhaps it is. And then the final nail in the coffin with my patient unconscious mind waiting for me to be ready was uh, two nights ago I had my no pants dream and you might have heard me talk about that one before but if you haven't i get that dream when i show up in the real world pretending like i don't know what i know so pretending up with false humility with a cloak of i want to be open i want to be teachable i want to i want to be ready to receive wisdom from others i want to take on board others opinion and others feedback and i don't know everything uh so that's a good overall idea about life, but in certain areas, if I show up like that, it's it's a lie because I do know what I know and I have devoted my life to a certain set of things and I am my own best reference point in terms of the decisions. So how is anyone else supposed to know what, I'm, or what I should or shouldn't do? It's not their life. They don't know me. They don't know what I'm sitting on. They don't know my sense of calling and purpose and destiny. So that's my job. 
So if I outsource that, or if I show up weak or uncertain, uh, within a few days, if you know, at, at best, sometimes that very day, that night, I will have an, a nightmare about showing up somewhere important. Think I'm prepared, look down, no, no clothes on, no pants on. Uh, and it's terrifying, it's embarrassing, and it's a, a very unsettling dream. So I woke up uh, two days ago from that dream and then put all the pieces together and went, uh-oh, that wasn't just a coincidence that five clients, then another set of five clients said no. It wasn't just a coincidence that I have inflammation in my right Achilles that stops me running. Uh, and it certainly wasn't a coincidence that I had a dream about having no pants on. And so I'm ready now. <laughs> and and instantly although like i'm not suggesting this is fun i'm not suggesting i still go with joy i still go frustrated and exhausted and unsettled and you know but i know i've never once ever regretted listening to myself it's just the readiness to listen am i ready i'm ready now and so i go and i and i listen and here was the message uh, jamin you you got too attached to the outcome again this is just like Townsville Marathon all those years ago. Do you remember that? Remember when I first introduced this idea of the fact that I could take running off the table? That was because you were too invested in winning Townsville Marathon. And it was such a fine line for you because you love running and you love running fast and you are a good runner and you could win that race. And it seemed like a good outcome to pursue and yet you couldn't control the outcome. And so perpetually you were disappointed and that disappointment was getting into your bones and affecting other areas of your life. So I decided to take it off the table to say no marathon while ever you must be attached to winning it. You can run your PB, go nuts. But if you have to be on that podium, forget it. You do not have permission, permission denied. And that's love telling you that, by the way. And so here I was. I got too attached to the outcome, the fine line between being ambitious and being attached. I'd crossed it and I hadn't even seen it. And I was disappointed and I was frustrated and I was upset and I wanted someone to blame and I was annoyed and I felt hardly done by. And and that that was creating a toxic energy inside and I was directing that toward myself. And I was, uh, because it was showing up as me somehow thinking that I'd done something wrong, somehow I didn't deserve it enough, somehow if I'd been better or smarter or knew the game or had some connection or had some better strength then I would have made this work so I was directing angst toward myself so I apologized and I settled down and I agreed that that was a foolish thing to do because uh, as it turns out I am convinced that I actually don't want that book to be picked up by the big end of town. It's not the game that is suited to me. It's not a game that I want to play, no matter what the seeming reward of playing that game. I thought I wanted it, but I don't. I, I do want to take full control of my own work and not be answerable to corporates around what I can and can't say. And I want to have a direct line between my product and the people who read it. So if I keep it small and manageable, I can do all those things. I am still just as ambitious that this book will do good in the world for as many people as possible. So all that to say, the moment I listen, the very moment I listen and make the necessary adjustments, then I'm back in the game. And, and here's the fun of it, right? 
instantly the tap gets turned on again. So, so then there are five and exactly five people who message me, ring me, email me that very day, seemingly out of the blue for no reason. Why is it that they're all ready now? <laughs> it's like, that's not a setup. It's Sorry, that's not a coincidence. That That's a setup. That's the fact that I have been resisting. I wasn't ready for them. They've been ready. I just, I was unavailable. I did not have permission to show up as coach. And now I have permission again. And so the five somehow are notified that I'm ready. And that's the moment they decided to reach out all five of them at once. And so the tap gets turned on. Then also instantly my Achilles, the inflammation goes. There's, there's no need for it. it. It dissipates and disappears instantly. And then there's, there's no swelling, there's no tightness, no pain. I can run fast and free again. Uh, and then I go back to sleeping peacefully again and have my pants on. So uh, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because like I am a pragmatic person and I, I only share things that work and I only share things that work in my own life first. I wouldn't dare share something that I haven't road tested and road tested and road tested and applied ad nauseum and, and then coach others to, to, to prove that it works. So this is how it works for me and and it's fast. And and here's the fun thing too. Like I love the idea that marriage is the metaphor. So my relationship with, with Catherine is the next best thing. It's the, the closest representation I've got to what intimacy looks like. So I, I think the intimacy I have with myself ultimately is higher. I think it's a purer form of connection because I am me. So um, I think the chance to show and receive love to myself is actually higher than the ability to give and receive love to another person. Uh, you know, but my relationship with Catherine is a very close second. And then the fun of how we've developed our communication system over 25 years is that we don't always get it right, but we know how to get back. We know how to clean the space. And so we end up making great decisions together. We end up solving problems in a really beautiful way together. We end up seeing each other. We end up believing in each other, empowering each other. We, we make each other better. And our relationship goes from strength to strength. And so it just gives us so much confidence that, um, like, we, you know, we talk about all kinds of things, but we talk about having an affair and, and the cost, the impact of having an affair. And, um, you know, one of the most... Uh, unattractive and therefore the most compelling reasons why neither of us are very keen to have an affair is could you imagine starting again with someone could you imagine rebuilding this could you see what has been built into this system the way we relate to each other how we've how we've worked at each other's language the history we've have of we've come through of missing each other and and not understanding each other and fighting for our own sense of what's right um, to to this where we know how to keep the space clean um, <laughs> that that would be a lot of work, too much work. Uh, so yeah, neither of us are keen to uh, ruin that. So uh, you know, in the same way with myself, rapport with self is everything. Like I just the cost of honouring rapport with you to break rapport with me, it just it's never worth it. So it just gives me so much safety to play in the world because I know that I have signals multiple forms of signals to get my attention if and when I break rapport or if I wander off the path. And so that means it's safe to play. It doesn't mean I have to get it right all the time. It doesn't mean I can't wander off the path. Uh, it just means, great, then you know you're going to find a way back and you're going to find a way back quickly and it's predictable. So um, I want to share that with you because uh, 
my intention was that you would see it in action and it would increase your confidence in um, what would be possible if you too could understand this model. You too could open lines of communication with yourself and have a predictable way that the best of you could get your attention when your setup is not safe, when there's something in the way that you're relating to yourself that is unsafe. And if your unconscious was to release permission to keep going, then it would just increase the likelihood of peril and danger and tragedy and failure in your world whereas if you create safety first then you decrease decrease the likelihood of um, you know epic failure of um, burnout of breakdown of big mistakes of decisions that you regret because you the best of you together all your best energy pointing in the same direction sorting this out as a team so uh, look pray for me think of me think kind thoughts Send me your best energy and all your love for the next two days while I get this book recorded. I won't have fun, but I will do it lovingly and I'll find some joy in there somewhere. So uh, on track for a March 1 launch date for both the audio and and paperback uh, and e-book as, e- as well. Uh, just finalizing details for our first uh, group of book launches and we'll be heading to brisbane first so brisbane looks like being the last week in march so if you're in the brisbane area there'll be details around uh, where i'll be who i'll be staying with what events i'll be running and lots of opportunities for you to join in there uh, and we'll keep you posted about the rest of the events as they come to bear all right i enjoyed that i hope you did too we'll talk to you again soon